Irma 365 acknowledges that our work in the community takes place on the traditional lands of many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And therefore, we respectfully recognise their elders past and present and the ongoing custodianship of the land and water by all members of these communities. Welcome to Get Real, talking mental health and disability. I'm Emily Webb. We're focusing on foster carers over the coming month to share the important role they have in the community. Foster care is a temporary care of children with the goal to reunify them with their birth family. These conversations will give you an insight into what it takes to be a foster carer, the ups and downs, and how people who do this vital role can change the lives of the children they care for and how their lives are changed too. Jackson, a teacher in Northern Victoria, became a foster carer in 2021 when he was in his mid-twenties. Jackson's situation is unique, and after doing foster caring, he is now stepping into the role of permanent carer. And if you haven't already, listen to our previous episode with Jasmine Isaacs, a foster care specialist, who talks about the process of becoming a foster carer. Now let's hear from Jackson. So I'm 28 and I'm a foster carer and have been for a little while now. Jeez, I think I had my first placement in the beginning of 2020, which is when I kicked this journey off. Initially, I think I was very hesitant toward the, the process. I think there's some limitations that you feel, you know, being a single guy and being 28 and also the factor of like being a school teacher as well and teaching, you know, the younger grades within a primary school. I had lots of siblings, like I'm one of five kids myself. It wasn't until in university that I really started to kind of reconsider where I was headed. I went through university and I studied, studied a course in, in, in business with a degree in marketing. And I did the full three years. I was kind of drawn towards working like with people and not necessarily from that marketing office job perspective. So I went to like a resource center and I took it upon myself to kind of look out and search for some volunteer work in the area. So I originally started out being like a volunteer scout leader. And that was something that I really, really loved. And I did transition from that to like working as a swim school teacher and as a lifeguard. And I just felt like it was a natural kind of progression. I just enjoyed working with kids and working with people and, you know, working with parents and, you know, skill development and, you know, also the well-being that comes with a lot of these things. Like if you think about scouts and where I started there, you know, some of those kids that attended Scouts, it was kind of a last resort. They'd tried soccer, they'd tried football, they'd tried, you know, rugby and a few other things, but nothing really hit the nail on the head, whereas Scouts was that real hands-on camping perspective that I thought really kicked me off well. Then I actually did summer camps in America. So I went from being a lifeguard and a swimming teacher to working at a few summer camps in America, which is really, really special and really cool. And I think that, once again, kickstarted that passion for working with kids and kids from different backgrounds. I mean, these kids were from around all over America. It was just amazing where these kids were from. And some were very, very privileged and others, you know, weren't so much. So it was good to have that, that difference as well, that the kids in their camp were from so many different backgrounds. Going from the summer camps, I moved into au pairing. I heard about it as like a whisper, you know, at camp one day, someone was talking about doing au pairing and 
and talking about the experience. And I kind of thought, oh, that'd be cool. Looks to me like you, you know, you get to live in a family's home internationally and, you know, teach them English while you're there. I remember I like boarded this plane and landed in Milan in Italy. And I was like staying there with my bag thinking like, I hope this mum just comes at the right time and actually picks me up at this this bus station. Because I was like 1am in the morning, totally freaking out, thinking, my gosh, you know, the family's, you know, got four kids and, you know, it, we're in Italy. I didn't speak Italian. I was like, what am I doing here? I think that experience in itself that lasted for about three months really opened up that different world where you had to really think about what you say. You had to really coordinate like the drop-offs, pickups, and you really had to be that parent role because a lot of the families within Europe, I think, and especially the families that I was living with, because it wasn't just one, there was a couple, were also very privileged and didn't have that time that they could spend with their own kids. So I felt in a way I was taking it upon myself to be that father role for these kids overseas. And I just loved it. Like, I love taking them to school, picking them up afterwards. You know, there was rugby, catechism, like these little church groups, soccer. It was just a really, really, yeah, special, special thing that I think started a lot of this as well. And then I did end up in the Maldives at one point as well, like with an Italian family that like flew me over there and got me to teach their four-year-old English. Towards the end of it, he could speak, like you could have a full conversation with him in one month. And I thought, wow, like how did I teach this kid? all of these words and all of this, all these memories and moments in, in such a short time, like he could have a full conversation. I came back from au pairing and I was like, right, you know, scouts, swim school teaching. I was like, loved it. Um, you know, camps in America, au pairing and working with these Italian families. I was like, I need to do teaching. Even though I've been teaching in like public schools for only a few years, to me, I've been teaching like for a lot, lot longer since I was like 18. So Teaching doesn't necessarily mean just, I think, like in the classroom. And that's why I think there's so many different ways to teach, including foster care in a way. So that teaching component of everything that I did led to where I am now. You know, those little moments in Italy and in Milan and, you know, in America and, and even in the little scout group, you know, where I, where I was and where I started. I feel like those little moments led me to where I was now. And moving into foster care, I don't think, you know, too many people were that surprised I was teaching and teaching, you know, a class in a primary school, one of the lower grades, and it was quite a big decision for me. But when COVID, COVID hit, that was another big factor for me. I thought, I've got this big house, you know, I've got four bedrooms and it's just me here. And even though I felt like one day, you know, I might meet the right girl and, and you know, have her here and have kids and whatnot, I just felt like, like, I've got rooms now, though. Like, that might be in the future, right? Like, maybe in two, three years, yep, I'll find the right girl and that's the rooms will fill up that way too. But I'm like, I've got rooms now. Like, why can't I use these now? Through COVID, I just thought I'd, I'd chip away at the training. I thought, look, I'll just attend an information session. And, you know, I, I looked online and searched the different foster care agencies as well. And, you know, Anglicare Victoria popped up. You know, this seems like a good one to, to go through. It seemed like it had a lot of, you know, reputation around it. There was a lot of positive stories and, and stories by other people that had done foster care for years that I felt like, you know, were very real. So I looked into it and just thought I'll just do an information session. Did not tell a soul, didn't ha like talk to anyone. just thought I'll just, you know, like everything else I've done, I kind of told people after I'd done it. Yeah, I signed up to this Anglicare Victoria information session and, attended it and there was a few other you know people it was all via like zoom 
and felt like it was a really, really positive experience. And everything they were saying, it really resonated with me. When I first signed up to be a foster carer and, and go beyond that information session, it was something that I felt very passionate about. Well, I'm 28. People are like, you know, why aren't you just, you know, out going to, you know, parties and clubs and things, trying to meet people and things? And I'm like, well, for me and for the way that I live, having kids inside my home and having those, you know, three spare bedrooms here was something that I felt very, like, proud about. Like, I'd worked hard to get here. And so offering out a bedroom to somebody that needed it, even if it's for one night, I mean, that's, that's not so bad. The training was challenging. It really was. It's a, it's a big process. And look, that's, I suppose, the process that a lot of people are curious about. There is this big process, which actually took me about, I reckon, 10, 11 months from start to finish. It really helps you to understand yourself as a person. When the training finished and there was lots of, you know, so many visits in between and, and face-to-face catch-ups and Zoom calls, there was hours upon hours upon hours of training and, and lots of paperwork to fill out. But through it all, you're really learning about the proper strategies to use to actually work with these kids. As a foster carer, when I finally finished and I was, you know, fully qualified, I really felt like I was ready. And they did say to me, you know, so now that you're qualified, like, when do you want to start? And to that, I was like, oh. You know, we've got report writing at school. We've got, you know, Christmas. I was like, gosh, there's, you know, oh, there's a lot, a lot on my plate here. Like, mm. um, and trying to find the right time. Because since you're qualified and you've got the sheet of paper, you know, great. And they're like, when do you want to start? I was a bit like, oh, like this is real. You can really ensure that your home is adequate and your lifestyle is adequate for the child that comes into your care. I think that's huge. So my first placement was from actually like, let's say, kindergarten age from regional Victoria. And I didn't really know what to expect. You know, the date was organized. It was for a two week period over the school holidays. And I thought, okay, you know, this is creeping up close. I've got over the reports. I've gone past Christmas. I've got New Year's. Okay. You know, he's arriving in a couple of days. I was like, oh, you know, I've got everything ready. I had to go there to actually pick him up. But I'm glad that I did. Because when I arrived, the carers were like, do you want to sit down and, and have a, um, you know, a tea? And I was like, yeah, like if, yeah, if you want. And I said, and they said, oh, well, we've got a couple of kids in our care at the moment. And they had about three and they were all quite young. And even as we were talking, I mean, you know, there were some substantial behaviors from, you know, this child. And even though I'd read the report, like you get sent a report that's quite thorough beforehand on him. I suppose putting the report to the actual child was just so, so hard to consider that all of these things that you read in the report, you know, and some of them were such massive moments. Like if you or I had gone through this, you just think, how would you even be able to, to get through the day? And yet this little child in foster care had gone through it and come out the other side and was like, just sitting there on the floor in the lounge room playing blocks. And I was like, talking to these two foster carers. And a few times he had these big meltdowns throwing things and, and really yelling, squealing. It was really interesting and good to talk to these carers who were just like super chilled. We were having a tea. I ended up staying for like an hour. And then, yeah, they were like, you know, this is it. I grabbed his little bag and like walked him over to the car and I had like this little um, baby seat that I like bought, you know, beforehand and popped the bag in the back and I had like a little present for him. So let him sit in the back seat with it and we were just driving, driving home. When I first had him home, you could really only speak to him in simple, simple sentences, two or three words. 
but it kind of matched with some of the experience I'd had with talking with Italian people and Italian kids. But look, I got to day two and um, this is out of like 14 days. And I was, you know, at this point counting the days. I thought, wow, this is, this is a lot. I feel like I got no sleep. You know, he was quite upset, quite emotional. I was like at that point where I thought, wow, it was day two at night. And I thought I need to call these carers that, are, that he's living with and have a conversation with them about what they do. How do they get through each day? You know, what tips do they use? So I actually rang them up and they, I think, were on like a, like a road trip. And yeah, these two were off on a road trip and they were just like sitting around in like little camp chairs and chatting to me about different things they used to actually work with him. And some of the tips they gave me were just essential. I, you know, used them through and through with him and, and were, were so firm with him from there. Yeah, I just talked to them and it was influential. I just thought, you know, I woke up the next morning and was like, I can do this. Yeah, look, we got through the two weeks in and when he left, it was like the cutest thing. You know, he was like, Jackson loves me, Jackson loves me, Jackson loves me. And like repeating it over and over. And then it was a few months later that I actually had him back. And it was like just for a weekend and I actually like picked him up from kinder. And like when I walked in those kinder doors, he like came running from like the back of the kinder. and was like arms out, you know, Jackson loves me, Jackson loves me, Jackson loves me. It's like his key token phrase and like ran over to me and I like picked him up. And she's like, oh, wow. Yeah, he's um, been talking about you like all morning. And yeah, we just spent like the weekend together and yeah, it was, was awesome. It was a big part, I think, of, you know, my passion for foster care and for continuing with this, you know, just to see him and how much growth he'd made just in those you know three months. And the fact that you felt confident giving him back to, you know, these really safe and secure carers, like I, you know, rave about them all the time um, and how good they were. I originally was asked for like a, a respite of the two that I have now and Originally, I said no. And then months and months and months went past. And yeah, I didn't, you know, think much of it. But that was kind of in the back of my mind. I thought, you know, just the placement was coming to an end, which means that the, the current care was kind of unable to continue. So then I thought, wow, but, you know, where are they going to go? Like, what's going to happen to them? You know, they're two siblings. And, you know, is there potential for them to be separated? And that was a lot of the questions that I was asking. So I put my hand up and just said, look, you know, if you get stuck, I can take them for two weeks. A few weeks went past and I got the phone call. I was like in a staff meeting and they said, Jackson, you know, I need your help. So we've got two, two kids here, lower primary ages and, you know, got to read their report and their story. And I thought, wow, you know, there's a, there's a bit here and had a chat with my family. And it was so, I suppose, confronting because mum, when I was talking to her and she's always been like my, like saving grace and all of this, like the one person can talk to about anything going on. Like I go to mum straight away <laughs> and I was like, mom, help. I need to make a decision quick. What do I do? And she said, look, Jackson, I think you'd be perfect for it. And, you know, I spoke about a few of the things um, with them, with mum and she became quite emotional. I was like, wow, like I suppose that's the training in me kicking in that I did through Anglicare where I didn't feel like, you know, reading the report and exploring their story before they arrived to me was okay. Like I understood it. Whereas my mum became quite emotional when she, you know, I suppose heard about a few things that they'd encountered. But look, when they arrived and one was hanging out the window with like the sunglasses on, like waving madly, like out of the car window of like the case manager, right, that dropped him off. And the other one was like, you know, insecure, kind of hugging the knees in the back seat, like, oh, I'm not sure about this. And from the very first day they arrived, like there was, there was no tears, which in a way, I don't know if this is like good, you know, that I made it like a warm, welcoming atmosphere. So these kids were very, I suppose, 
like settled really quickly and we just gelled like we made like a, a chocolate mud cake like the first night and we're like sitting around you know eating it and it was just surreal cooking for like three people and you know going on like a walk and seeing like the two kids in front you know like don't scoot it too quickly wear your helmet you know oh you know you fell over here let me help you up with the two that i have now it's supposed to be for two weeks but i knew it could go for longer then we hit like the one year mark and that was a big milestone for us and people were still like oh jackson like how are you going for like how long do you want to do this for if teachers at school but there's just so many little moments throughout the day where you think like this is like the best thing I've ever done. And then other moments where, you know, they come home from school and they might be a bit emotional. They might have got into a fight. It wasn't a huge thing then moving into permanent care. Permanent care, the difference between that and respite and short term and long term is that you have them until they're 18. Like, I don't, I don't use the term permanent care with the kids much. Like, I, they, they understood the process of when we were moving into it. But I don't, yeah, I don't necessarily use the word, the word permanent. We use, like, forever care between me and the boys. And forever care means that it's not just until they're 18. You know, permanent care is. But forever care is until, you know, it's indefinite. So that's a big, a big thing. And look, with permanent care, once they transition into permanent care, which actually has to go through the courts for you to become their legal guardian legal guardian means that you are their sole their sole carer like i've been in some sticky situations where you know i was at you know my parents house and the kids have all been playing and one of them got hurt it was like my niece or nephew and my eldest had disappeared you know he was hiding in in the bushes around and i had to literally go around with like a torch and was like looking in the bushes trying to find him because in his eyes he'd done something horrific and wrong someone was crying and it was his fault he had to hide Otherwise, something, you know, could happen in his eyes, even though I'm a safe person and a trusted adult. He, he goes back into that mode of when my siblings cry, that, that can be scary for me. So he actually went and hid and wasn't sure what the outcome or the result would be, you know, because he was so, so scared. I've already said to them, like, they'll be, they'll be one, the ones there, you know, I'm helping them now you know, with the, the little everyday things. But I was like, when I'm older, you're going to be, you know, helping me out with my groceries. And if I, you know, need help with this and that, I was like, you'll be there to help me out. Before I did foster care, I used to swim like four nights a week. You know, I'm running like all the time, super fit, which I still think I'm keeping up a little bit now, but not as much. And I just take them with me. You know, if I'm like, right, I need to swim, I need to clear my head. Right, boys, hop in the car, let's go. You know, I need to go and clear my head, need to go for a run. I'm like, boys, let's kick the footy, I'll do laps of the oval. Those little moments, if you feel like you are overwhelmed, you know, as a foster carer or you have, you know, had it a tough for a few days or a week, I'm like, these guys have been through so much more than me. I was like, if I'm feeling like I need a break, yeah, I'm going to take them with me too. They need, they need one as well. Like a lot of people ask too, you know, so like now that you've gone into permanent care, you know, do the kids call you dad? You know, that sort of thing. Like, do they call, like, your mum, Nana? Is that how it works? And, look, mine still use, you know, first names, even for me. Because you have to remember, too, like, some of these kids have bounced around the system for so long. And a lot of them have a lot of trauma even attached to the name. So, if you use a name like Nan or, or Mum or Dad or Auntie, there can actually be lots of things they connect to that name. So, mine feel actually more comfortable using our first names. And that's something that I'm happy for them to do. So my my family have just been, yeah, influential in everything I do. I've, like I said, I'm one of five kids. So I have nieces and nephews everywhere. And 
one of my sisters lives, you know, five minutes from my house. The other one's five minutes in the other direction. And then mum's about 10. So in amongst, we've got like this awesome little network and, you know, friends from school, you know, a lot of my friends are school teachers as well. So I feel very safe, you know, having the boys, you know, head out with them or, you know, for them to, to take them for an hour if I have an appointment or something to get to. It's really good. Like you get a lot of support from Anglicare as well. As much as I talk about my family, you know, Anglicare are there from the beginning and you think with a lot of agencies, right, that they'll, you know, back off or the service will dwindle as it goes on. But you have to remember that each of these kids has like a case manager assigned to them in charge of keeping them safe. So as much as you're providing, you know, the everyday, day-to-day care, there is a caseworker like attached to each child that actually advocates for them and ensures that the placement they're getting and the placement they're in is adequate for them. And the case managers that I've had along the way have been really good. Like my first one that I had, like I kept her for a long time, you know, and then as I moved into different children in foster care, like I had the preschool age and then I had the uh, senior primary, each of those guys had a separate case manager attached to them. And there was like a support worker for me as well. So there's so many people in amongst the system helping. And it's not until you're like in it that you see, you know, and the emails start coming in, the phone calls, you know, and you, you want to help out more and more and more. And you're like, oh, like I've already got, you know, a, a child for, you know, this period or these two weeks or these three weeks. And the phone calls, you know, are coming in, but there's actually just no one there to, to, to take them on board. And I think if people got through the, got through the training, right, like I know it is hard and it's a bit vigorous and look, maybe it could be less for others, you know, me being a single guy, 28 you know, and I was working full time trying to do it. So it could be less for others. And I feel like if you could just take in one child for like one night, you know, we wouldn't be in this situation we are in now. Absolutely. Like one child, one night. And I feel like um, it would make a world of difference. Just just go to one information night. Like even if you listen to this and you're thinking, ah, like, I don't know, you know, if I will, I'm not sure. I can just go to like one information night and just see. Just go there, just like check out the vibe, see if it's like something that you're interested in, you know, pick up on the dynamic and the way they're talking. And then if you if it's something you are interested in, you know, just take that next step. And the training is just something that you can plug away at over time. Like they don't rush you. There's no time limit. Just plug away at it over time. And when your first placement rolls on through, just just give it a go. But I feel like for people out there that want to comment on foster care and, and want to have a say on some of the things that, that we do, I feel like that's fine for you to do that, but give it a go first. You know, for people to say, you know, this or that about foster carers or, you know, they might have different perceptions of foster carers, you know, get in and actually have a chat with some carers. You know, all people that I've met are all unbelievable people. Like before foster care, would I have been like down the main street wearing like a green Pokemon, like Pikachu kind of shirt? Probably not. Whereas now, like it it just doesn't matter. Just, yeah, get out there and give it a go. Thanks to Jackson for joining us on the podcast and to Fostering Connections for their support in helping us to create this episode. If you're interested in becoming a foster carer and live in Victoria, contact Fostering Connections on 1800 013088 or head to fosteringconnections.com.au. We'll have details in the show notes for this episode. For our listeners, if you have been affected by anything discussed in this episode, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. There's also 13 Yarn on 13 92 76, which is a 24-7 crisis support for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. You've been listening to Get Real, Talking Mental Health and Disability. 
If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love you to share Get Real with your friends and networks and subscribe on your preferred listening platform. That way you won't miss an episode. Until next time, stay safe, stay well and look after yourself.